Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Laura, soon to be mother of two. I finally get to say that, guys. With my Montessori certification in lower and upper elementary, ages 6 through 12, I am here today with Rachel, mother of two, with her Montessori certification in infant toddler, which is birth through three years old, and Megan, mother of two, a certified Montessori lower elementary teacher, ages six through nine. She's currently working on her certification in primary, ages three to six. Today, we are here to do part two of our human tendencies episode, but first, let's start by catching up. What has everyone been up to this week? We've just been living outside in this like best weather ever. I just love it so much. Mm. Eric keeps making fun of me because I'll put on my sweater and my boots. He's like, Rachel, it's going to be 70 today. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. But it's 55 right now. Exactly. It's 55 right now. So back up off me, bro. I don't care if it's going to be 87 by the time <laughs> it's noon. But in the mornings, it is crisp and it is cool and it is fall outside. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But me too. Me too. Well, my life's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. I know. Rachel was just like, it's beautiful world. It's a beautiful life. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> my life is in shambles right now. Like it's stressing me out. I have so many cups of coffee on this table and just like unfinished work and laundry on the floor. And I was trying to do a toy rotation and my kids woke up. And so then they were like, cool, boxes of toys. So they just emptied it out. Oh, that's the worst. And you guys, I'm really, really particular about my toy storage. So everything is in like a labeled bag and they go in a specific box and I feel very strongly about it Mm -hmm. because I can't control much else in my life. (laughs) And they just dumped everything out and... I slept wrong on my neck and I can't turn my head and I look like a long haul trucker today. Okay. Well, the cap, <laughs> the, the, what's that called? Is that called the trucker cap? What the hell is that no, called? No, it's just, I feel like it's more like the flannel jacket. Maybe the flannel jacket and the, the baseball cap. I also cap. have sweats and Crocs on. I love it. You're rocking it. I look real cute today. I think you should lean into that and love it as much as I do. I had to go pull a tote. We had a tropical storm come through a couple days ago in our area. And so we were all stuck at home. School was canceled, blah, blah, blah. And I went and pulled out one of the storage totes of things that I had rotated out and just like opened it, dumped it on the floor. And I was like, free for all day, sister, go for it. That is a good tip, though. Mm -hmm. Like if you have like a rainy day or 
you know, you can't be outside for some reason or you have like sick kids, I will get down like a box and then put it on the floor and just leave it there. And they act like it's a box of brand new things. That's the beauty. It is. It's the, that's the best thing about toy rotation though. Yeah. Because it's like, it's life changing when you need it. Yeah. They're like, wait, what? I yeah. didn't know I had this thing that I've played with a million times, <laughs> but I forgot about because it's been gone for a month. You know? Well, and it's funny too, because when they're this little, the way that they play with things mm-hmm. changes. Like they see it in a new way. They interact with it in a new way. So it yeah. really does feel like a new toy. So that really is a great tip, but different from what you were saying because you're trying to actually do a rotation and you were sabotaged whereas I was just like grasping at straws to keep everyone inside and happy yeah well and then they got like into every single box versus like one one. that I can put away because I have like five and they have different things inside of them so they're just all like the puzzles are with the stuffed animals are with the cars like it's just Mm. it's chaos did I leave it on the ground because I'm too scared to deal with it and it's been there for five days maybe I'm gonna like leave this on a positive note my Sharon the positive of it is that I am going to tackle it because I have a new cup oh yeah I have a new water bottle I got the Stanley cup this is not an ad so it's just 40 ounces of liquid and so I've decided that if I hydrate with this cup I will have the energy and the glowing skin and the personality to just be that person that just does the things. If you drink that whole cup, you will transform into a divine healthy god. The trucker jacket will just magically shed from your yeah. body. And I'll put on clean clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Rachel, you reminded me earlier when you said something about an Amazon gift guide. Because I did in the mail yesterday get the first ever, I don't think I've ever seen one of these, an Amazon toy catalog Mm -hmm. like in preparation of Christmas coming and I was like oh my god first of all first of all Christmas is like around the corner like the holiday season is basically tomorrow as far as moms are concerned basically I had that little inner struggle of like do I hide this immediately or do I let my (laughs) child see it because like I want to flip through it but She's two and a half, right? She's going to need every, she's going to need, quote unquote, every single thing on every page. And Rachel, we were just talking about trying to pare it down for Christmas and be really Mm -hmm. intentional and do like the one thing you need, one thing you want. Wear, read. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I, so I let my daughter look through it. But the thing about your daughter, Laura's daughter, is she does not forget anything. You tell her something. She, will remember until just the end of time and she will not let it go so like I can tell my Mm -hmm. daughter something you know and then she's like all right and then she moves on but yours mm -mm. she's gonna look at that book and wake up Christmas morning Christmas wake morning. Up Christmas like, morning. Where are my pages of toys mother we discussed I all of them yeah so so yeah, that was a an interesting little kind of like parenting milestone is getting a toy catalog and having a kid old enough to want to look through it and get excited about it. So I haven't got one. No, it maybe just came yesterday. I don't pay for Prime. My mom does. So I bet it went to my mom's Amazon. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. I think that's the deal. Okay. So yeah, that's uh that's our week so far. And let's jump into part two of our human tendencies. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. 
All right. So we left off. The last one we did was observation. And in, in that case, we were talking specifically about them observing us. We usually are talking about the importance of observing them. So that brings us to the next one, which is communication. So by that, we mean that every human has an inherent need to be understood. Everybody wants to be understood. Communication is how we connect. It's how we relay important information. It's how we express ourselves. We use words. We use body language. We use writing. We read. We use art as a means to communicate and express ourselves. So children are observing how to communicate with those around them at all times. We must give children the freedom to communicate and the confidence to communicate. In the classroom, children are given the freedom to communicate with one another. In fact, Megan, you recently shared a reel where it was a lower elementary classroom and it was buzzing. It was humming. I mean, it's not silent in a Montessori classroom because they are communicating. They are collaborating. That's so important to them at that age and as human beings in general. So in the classrooms, they are not silenced. They are not asked to sit quietly while a teacher lectures. They're engaging with the guide and their peers and communication is encouraged. We hit a lot on the classroom there, but what can we share about how that might translate to the home environment? Well, I mean, I love that we're talking about this because actually last night I had a kind of a experience with this with my toddler. I mean, just how they soak up everything and they're watching your body language and all the things. It was a reminder for me of just the importance of how we communicate and how they're just absorbing everything around them, right? And for toddler, at least, he's still learning how to communicate. So, which we're all learning how to communicate, but I mean, like at the very beginning of life, he's really still learning how do I say that when I'm frustrated or how do I go about this situation? And last night I was like at my wits end, my husband got home super late and I was frustrated and he comes in and it's like singing and just like in this great mood. And I'm just like, no, like, no, <laughs> shut it down. <laughs> yeah. And immediately, and I don't even remember what I said, but immediately my son went, stop it, daddy, right now. And I was like, oh, like it was like feisty. And I was like, oh, and I was like, he literally just copied exactly what I said. Like he, he just did exactly what I did, but in his own words, I didn't say stop it, daddy. But <laughs> I'm sure I was like, Garrett, like cut it out. Or, you know, I was, I was kind of smart with him and he totally copied me. And I was like, well, darn. <laughs> and I stopped and we talked about it. And I was like, I was feeling frustrated. And I recognized, you know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry I did that. But it's hard too. I want to say that like communication of we always share like how we should be saying things and the best way to say things. But also they're hearing the bad things that come out too. And they may repeat those. But it was a learning experience for me. So yeah, so we talked about that a little bit with observation, right? And yes. how mm -hmm. they're soaking in everything. So the same thing applies to communication. And if you have younger children, they're literally laying the groundwork for that. Mm -hmm. And so that's easy to think of with little kids and, and babies as like, you're just exposing them to the communication so that they can gain language and all this subtle nuances. But that's a good reminder that you are constantly modeling communication. Yeah, I should have communicated. 
communicated differently. Yeah. Right. So how you are communicating in your home is how they are going to go out into the world and communicate. So when they get to that classroom, exactly, that's how they're going to treat others is how they've always watched you treat others, right? Mm-hmm. So so modeling that communication is really important. Yeah. yeah. I feel like for this one, when we're talking about like, what can we do at home? Again, human tendencies, what we've been talking about in this first part of this little series that we're doing. The human tendencies are things that touch every person at every stage in their life, in every culture, in every time period, right? Mm -hmm. Every human has the need to communicate. Adults, children, even babies, you know, Rachel's little baby is trying to communicate. She's babbling and she's reaching for things and things like that. And so something that is really important in the Montessori classroom is communication. Like Laura said, there's talking. Children are encouraged to speak. Oftentimes, you will hear more from the children than you hear from the adult because Mm -hmm. Maria Montessori believed that the human tendencies needed to be honored in the classroom. So you're not going to see a teacher standing up in front of the entire classroom talking at them while they're expected to have a quiet body and a quiet, um, I mean, what what do you say? Quiet, quiet body and I don't know. What do teachers say? <laughs> like to not be talking, basically, and to be listening. We, like to, we don't even know what they. I don't say even know in what a you would say. Classroom because we don't say that. Well, yeah, I don't. I, I don't, don't know, know either. But so there's a lot of communication going on, and it's encouraged. And so something I think that we can we can do at home is one of the biggest importance about communication is self expression. And children are learning who they are. Like Maria Montessori said that they're constructing themselves. So they're trying to figure out who am I? Who am I? What do I like? What do I dislike? Yeah. How do I fit into this community? How, what am I, what am I good at? So communication and these kind of things that Laura listed, reading, writing, art, just having a conversation with them. Sometimes I think that we get really worried about having the perfect Montessori environment at home. But one of the most amazing things you can do at home is talk to them, let them talk to you, Mm -hmm. do art. And part of the self-expression with art is, you know, we're not worried about the product. We've talked about this before, but like just drawing together, letting them paint, not worrying about what they're going to make or what it's going to look like, but letting them really express themselves, reading books, singing songs, reciting poems. Uh, Those are things you can do at home, I think, to really encourage that communication and really help them express what they're trying to figure out inside. I love that. And I think that it's really important to to remember that, that one of the most important things you can do to have a Montessori household is to foster that communication and to hear them out. And I think it's really important to respect their attempts at communication because I think it's really easy, especially at the end of a long day or even at the beginning of a day where you have not slept for you know days straight, basically. They are negotiating. They are pleading. They are verbal now. And they're saying things that are just driving you up a wall and you want to just shut it down and be like, absolutely not. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I try so hard. And I'm not perfect at this, right? We have made it very clear throughout the course of this show. We are not perfect at any of these things. But I try really hard to catch myself, take a deep breath, and just hear her out for a Mm -hmm. second on what is she trying to tell me right now? Why is it so important to her that we go this way or do this thing? And she can 
to a degree, she can express these things. And it's my job to give her the space to do that. And sometimes the answer still has to be no. No, my love, we're not doing it that way. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I hear you. I understand. But the answer is still no. But just taking that time to let her know that I do hear her and I understand and and that those negotiating skills that are driving us nuts right now are really, really important communication skills for her to have for her whole life. Yep. Maybe I w- didn't intend on doing it this way, but maybe in our communication, in our conversation, she shows me why it's actually fine to do it the other way. Like maybe sometimes I can come up off of what I had in mind. Yeah. And then I'm modeling for her also that that you should listen to somebody else and hear their point of view and that it's okay for that to change your mind sometimes. Like it doesn't always just have to be my way because I'm mommy and I said so because I'm the adult and I'm always right. Sometimes she comes at me with a point of view that changes my mind because you know what? You're right. Maybe we should go outside for a couple minutes first. You know, like what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get dirty. Well, guess what? After this is bath time anyway. So like, sure, let's go outside. I initially was going to say no, but then I let her explain to me what she wanted out there and I've changed my mind. And I just think that that it's important to be open to that. Respectful communication. Yeah, to really communicate with them the same way you would with anybody else in your home or your life. It's so easy to shut them down because they're kids and they're loud and they're annoying and blah, 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 blah. But sometimes though, in fact, more often than not, it really is worth just having the dialogue and letting them at least just feel like I'm respected, I'm heard, I have a voice, even if the answer is still no. That's just kind of my two cents on it is that might be a little bit controversial. I feel like sometimes I feel like sometimes people look at me, you know, letting her negotiate and they're like, oh, she's, you know, mm-hmm. walking all over you. But that's mm-hmm. not actually how yep. I feel about it at all. And I don't think that's how she feels about it. I think she feels respected and heard and like she's contributing to the choices being made. I think that's really important. So I love that you mentioned respect because I want to circle back and just say also one thing we've discussed many times, but I want to just make a point again is they're individuals. Like even though your child is much younger than you, a lot of times parents do this baby talk or Mm. they don't talk to them like I talk to Laura and Megan, but we try and really want you to try really hard to just talk to them as normal individuals, like a a normal person, not as the little baby in the family or what. So talk to them like you would talk to your your friend and have a conversation with them. That's how they're learning to communicate too. Yeah. You're modeling appropriate communication, period. So like- don't you don't have to use the baby voice you don't have to give everything a cutesy wootsy nickname you know like Mm -hmm. you can just talk to them like like a person and I do want to say that that doesn't mean that you can't have fun and you can't be silly no because I feel like that's one of the times that people can feel a little bit alienated from Montessori is like that they have to be so perfect and and serious all the time so uh, like the point that Rachel's making is that we we do our best to help them learn to communicate by how we communicate with them. And so I think that that is important that we are taking the time and the energy, which is what Laura is saying, to really explain to them what's happening and hear them and listen to them and take what they have to say into consideration mm-hmm. and letting them be upset and being okay with them expressing their displeasure with something because all of this is practice all of this is a need because that's something we keep talking about with the 
human tendency. This is a need for them. So shutting them down, telling them to stop crying, telling them that it's not up for negotiation, which it might not be, but that's the boundary, right? Is that it's not going to change necessarily, but I will hear you and I do respect your opinion. The boundaries stay where they are. However, you can talk to me and I will respect you. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about respectful communication is they aren't going to learn how to respectfully communicate with you if they're not given the opportunity to practice. And if you're not speaking to them in a way that teaches them and models for them how to do that. So we can still have fun. We can still play. But in those moments of really needing to communicate with each other, we're being as helpful models as we can be. Yeah, real and authentic mm-hmm. and genuine in our communication. And I think what a gift too to be able to to not be afraid to speak up for yourself. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. If I have a boss or someone in a position of authority who just says like this is the way it is, I'm like, "Okay, you know, yeah. even if even if in my gut I'm like, ah, there's something yeah. about this that doesn't, doesn't sit right with right. me." I won't speak up. I have been trained not to. I have been trained yeah. that that is disrespectful and you know your place. And I don't want that for her. And I don't I don't want her to be disrespectful and when the answer is no and it's, it has to stay no, it has to stay no, but I want her to be comfortable with saying this is why I disagree with that. Yeah, I respectfully disagree. Exactly, to to respectfully disagree. And that comes down to me allowing it and modeling it. Yeah. Right? Yep. All right, so that's a lot on communication. (laughs) Let's roll to the next one. Association with others. We have a tendency as humans to be together. We want to be together. It helps us survive. We need other people to keep us safe and protected. Furthermore, we need others to give us a sense of belonging and community. We are able to create more when we work with others. As humans, we are social beings who are able to collaborate and work together to do amazing things. Yeah, again, this is one that's really obviously built into the classrooms, right? It's a mixed age group. We just talked about with communication, how classrooms are humming and buzzing and children are encouraged to work together to solve problems. And that's, I mean, that's just a, that's a real life skill. There is no... There are, there are very few jobs you're going to step into in your exactly. adult life where you are not yeah. going to have to communicate, collaborate, and associate with others. That's the craziest thing to me about our traditional education system. And this isn't the fault of the teachers. You're given a ton of kids and a bunch of desks and no money, <laughs> like five books. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> It's not their fault, but this is just the way that it's built. Yeah. And kids are expected to sit in their seat, to focus on their own work, and to get their grade for themselves that represents how much you've individually learned and you take your test and then you go to college and you do it all again. And then you get into a job and they're like expecting you to collaborate and be a good team player and work together. But that skill was never an importance for your entire life. And so that's one thing I love, love, love about the Montessori environment is that that is something that is looked on as a skill. Like you said, Laura, it's a skill that needs to be learned and it's a human tendency. It's something that they need. So if you're a teacher and you see that it's impossible to pry these kids apart and we're constantly having to give out all of these punishments and discipline and red check marks, it's because this is not natural. This is not how children, humans, this is not how we're meant to experience life. Like Rachel said, we are social beings and 
we have this natural tendency to get together and to create and to make really cool stuff. If you look around any city in any part of the world, people got together and they created buildings and governments and families and homes and crops. And Mm -hmm. we do really cool stuff as people. And the fact that the traditional school system goes against everything that is natural to us makes no sense to me, but here we are. And if you find yourself in a situation where your children are in a traditional setting and it's not even really a choice for you to be in a different kind of setting, that's okay. Please don't worry that your child will not learn those skills. It just means that these are going to be that much more important for you to be fostering and modeling in the home, that you are finding those opportunities, those play dates, those experiences where they are able to collaborate and work together and just be around other people freely. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. In the in the lower L curriculum and in upper L, we teach the fundamental needs. And it is a chart of the bare bones, most basic needs of a human being to survive, right? And it's always fun to give this lesson because we're like, okay, if you're stranded on a desert island, you tell me, what are the things that you need to survive? And the kids are, you know, they're like food, water. And I'll ask, do you need your iPad? Well, no, but yeah, but no. And we have to discuss, you know, like what really do you need to survive? One of the branches of that chart is other people. It is actually classified as something that we need to survive and thrive as human beings. So finding ways and opportunities to allow that to happen, to make that clear. I think that's, again, a huge gift to our children to get that practice now. Yeah. I even remember being at the Museum of Science up in Boston years ago and reading a little infographic about how depression rates have soared in human beings in general as societies have moved away from being super collaborative and people have started to work and live more in isolation. Yeah, and that's why COVID was so hard. Yes, and for it's so hard for mm-hmm. so many people so who are isolated. It is enough to change your quality of life. So it is super, super important. And I like that you talked about how some some people listening are either their kids are in a traditional school or you're a traditional teacher. So I think that something that we talked about trying to do here is to take these ideas and bring them home so that no matter what your situation is, you can honor those human tendencies. And something I think that we can like circle back to with communication is if we are treating our children in a collaborative way, like Laura had talked about with her child, hearing her out, that's a way that we can practice collaboration. That's a way that we can say, hey, you're part of this family, you're part of this team, and your voice matters and your opinion matters, and we're going to work together. So I think that that's one way without even having to worry about playdates or, um, you know, making sure that they find, of course, time with their peers is really, 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 really important. But I think kind of just like baseline, yeah, you can treat them as an equal part of your family community, because that's the first community that they're a part of the very first one. And that's the one that you have the most control over. Yeah, that's a great point. Yep. Okay, I think that we sufficiently covered association with others. So let's move on to the next one. Megan, you want to kick off the next one? I do. And before I do, I just wanted to say that Rachel had to hop off. She has baby things going on. So we're just going to continue without her, but have her in our hearts and minds and spirits. Always in our hearts. (laughs) Always. Okay. So the next one is, so the next one 
is manipulation, which we also call activities or work. We have an incredible drive as humans to be active. Activity can be physical. It can also be activity of our minds. Activity and work is how we progress, and it is what makes us feel fulfilled and complete. We can offer purposeful activities in the classroom or in our home. Children are incredibly active, as we all know, and they have so much drive, and we welcome this as Montessori guides and as Montessori parents. Children's goodness is expressed through activity which I love that so much. We provide the opportunity for them to choose their activities in the prepared environment. Dr. Montessori said, the hand is the tool of man's intelligence or woman's. Montessori used the word work to honor the purpose of their play and their activities. They are building themselves. They are constructing themselves. So I love how she used the word work as a way to really honor their play, which is really what they're doing. Yeah. I think we've said this a couple times, and if you follow other Montessori-type accounts, you've definitely seen the quote that play is the work of the child. And that's something she very firmly believed in and something that we as Montessorians have come to see is extremely true. The way that they play, whether it's very concrete play or imaginative play or whatever it is that they're doing is their way of practicing skills, honing concepts. It is their work. It is exactly what they need to be doing. Yeah. So this part, I think, is the kind of forward-facing thing of Montessori. We see the trays. We see all the little activities. And as you can see, this is one part. This is one human tendency and the way that it's honored in the Montessori environment is through activity and through work. And this can look different. Like I said, it can be physical, it can be activity of our minds. But the idea is, is that we have to really prepare the environment so that this human tendency can be met. Because children will manipulate and they will work with their hands whether or not you have something prepared. That's an important note, Megan, because <laughs> that really actually is. causes a lot of frustration in adults is that mm -hmm. you have not necessarily prepared or provided an experience that's meant to be manipulated. And the child's going to do that anyway, because that is how they're exploring. That's how they're learning. That is their work. And then that leads to a very frustrated adult or teacher who isn't understanding why are you doing this with this material or this activity? This is not supposed to be handled in this way. So yeah, I think that's an important little caveat there. Yeah. I mean, it can kind of look like a yes space is what people call it, a place that's set up for the child so that they have kind of free reign to work and play. For a lot of us, our children aren't homeschooled. They go to school and then they come home. So what does your space look like at home that offers activity and work that's not necessarily like this perfect, pristine homeschool situation that you might see on social media? For me personally? Mm -hmm. yeah. So really the, the major thing that I should try to explain is that in our home, I have tried to make sure that in as many scenarios and as many rooms as possible, there is something that is her size that is accessible to her that she can interact with and contribute to 
whatever's going on in that room. So for example, in the kitchen, she actually participates in meal prep and gets her own snack and gets her own water and all of those things by having a little sous chef tower. And you don't even have to have a fancy sous chef tower. You can just have a step stool, something that gets them up to the level that they need to be at to be able to participate. So she has her little chopper and she'll come work at the counter with my husband while he's cooking. And sometimes she's actually helping to prepare the meal. Sometimes he's kind of giving her something that she can make a mess of by herself to feel like she's contributing and preparing the meal. But she always has an opportunity, whatever we're doing, wherever we're at, to do it at her level, at a scale that makes sense for her. So in the living room, we have a little shelf that looks sort of like a classroom shelf, but it's a little bit smaller. And it has a handful of works from one of our, you know, love every subscription boxes, different mixtures of things in the house that allow her to be active and to manipulate. Someone gave us a little trampoline that she can go kind of jump and get energy out on. Um, We have a little swing set in the backyard and swinging is really, really important to her. And she loves that. And she can go be active outside. She can dig in the garden. I have little child-sized tools for her to dig in our little flower bed boxes and just everywhere that I could make it possible for her to actively manipulate something safely in a way that makes sense to her and helps her to practice a skill. I have tried to do that. And my house certainly does not look like the perfect Montessori account or magazine, but it works for us. And it definitely reinforces a lot of the stuff that I know she's actively working on at school without feeling like she's just coming to a second classroom. Yeah, you can have kind of the principles because you do want it to be, Maria Montessori talked about this, we want there to be a connection of school and home, but they don't have to look exactly the same. Right. But the overarching principles can be the same. These human tendencies, that's why these are important, is that it doesn't have to be the way that it's set up in the classroom, but we're still going to honor these human tendencies because they're the same, whether they're at school or whether they're at home. Right. And whether she's in her perfectly, beautifully set up toddler classroom or at her house, she wants to do it herself. Mm -hmm. She wants to try it. She wants to have a safe space to fail and have a guide there who's ready to help her get back up and try again. So those are kind of the major principles that I keep true to the house. Yeah, I always make sure that she has an opportunity to do it herself when she would like to. And of course, there are plenty of days where she doesn't want to do it herself. Everything is mommy help, mommy this, mommy that. And so I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to push it and say, no, you need to do this manipulation work to grow your brain. (laughs) You know, like, and we've talked about that before too, with the independence ideas that there are days where we all just need a hand and just aren't up to the challenge per se. Yeah. Well, I love the whole idea of goodness is expressed through activity and this whole idea that the hand is the tool of man's intelligence because I hear so many times like, oh, these kids never stop, you know, as kind of like a complaint, which of course we're tired as adults. My son just got up at 3 a.m. this morning and yes, he didn't want to stop even though I was tired, but I just love this reframe that it's how they express their goodness. Like this is how they're building themselves and, and and learning about the world and figuring out who they are and building their intelligence. And kind of what you had talked about with the way that your house is set up, there's no difference between play, like jumping on the trampoline, playing with plastic toys, and doing this really purposeful, say, like lacing work that you've put on a beautiful tray. Like it's all work. 
It's all purposeful. It's all yeah. purposeful. And so I think that that's something that you can think about when you are purchasing toys or things in your home is that will they be able to manipulate it? So we just did a post about this. Plastic toys get a bad rap. We are not against plastic toys here. No. But what I would suggest is that if it is a plastic toy that you make sure that the child is doing the manipulating and that the toy isn't doing the manipulating. So there are these toys that kind of they light up and they sing and they do all these things without the child having to do anything. They just like push a button and it just goes and they just watch it. When you're buying things, I would say make sure that the child's doing more work than the toy is. Or at least just that you have a healthy enough mix that maybe if you have some of those toys, those are fewer and farther between yeah. than the more interactive and purposeful toys. I would really limit those just because they don't have the opportunity, not that they're evil or wrong or going to hurt them in any way. It's just they're not going to get that opportunity to do the manipulating, which we are saying is a need for them. They need to do that. So having it be limited is a good way to maybe pare back if you have a lot of that in your home. I also think some other good tips and some things that they do in classrooms that you can do at home is kind of working more activity into whatever the work is. So for example, in a Montessori classroom and in a children's house classroom, if they're learning like the pieces of a puzzle map, for example, like let's say they're doing all the major continents, the child would pick up North America, for example, and let's say they have it on their rug on one part of the classroom. This would be shown to them, right? This lesson would be given, but they would be expected to pick up North America, bring it over to the one teacher in the classroom and say, North America. And then usually that teacher will say, that's great. Go show it to Miss or Mr. So-and-so. And they walk to the other end of the classroom and show it to another person and say, North America. And then they move back to their map, place it down and say, North America. So there's just kind of all this repetition and there's a lot of movement and activity built into that because there is scientific data that proves that children retain better when they're not just sort of sitting at a task and being asked to like silently kind of memorize it or understand it. So with that manipulative work, that activity piece could be a part of it that helps to sort of solidify those concepts like movement and activity is really important. Yes. Crossing the midline, right? Using both sides of your body. Well, that's something that is so different about Montessori from a traditional classroom is that they're not asked to sit and be still like they would be in some traditional classrooms. I know that some teachers now are really seeing the benefit of movement and are trying to incorporate that in their traditional classroom. But for the most part, they're not going to be asked to sit in a chair all day. They are going to be asked to move and they're going to be welcomed to move because that activity, that physical activity, like you said, is how they learn. So so yes, it's really, really important. And any way that you can implement activity and work in your home, the more you're going to see purposeful work and purposeful play in your home. And again, by work in this situation, we literally just mean things that they can manipulate and interact with mm -hmm. by themselves without needing you to open it, press it, push it, pull it, whatever it is, something mm -hmm. that they can experience themselves. That is their work. Right. I mean, and not even toys, like it can be cups. It can be. That's true. I mean, my son loves to pull baskets down the hallway. Like it's just work. It's what they're doing with an intention and with a purpose. So even if you have no toys in your home, 
they can still work. So I think that's the thing that I love about this whole idea is that no matter where you are, no matter what your home looks like, no matter what your budget, they will figure out a way to manipulate and to move and to work. And so what we can do is just try to offer an environment that is conducive for that human tendency. Yeah. I love that reminder that it doesn't just have to be toys and puzzles Mm -hmm. and things like that. It could just be, you know, maybe they're really into helping feed the dog because that act of scooping and transferring is what they're needing right now. That's the work they want to practice. Maybe they just want to fill a bucket with water and carry it around the yard. That's all work for them. Yeah. My kids just spent 20 minutes outside yesterday filling up a bucket with rocks. And that was their work. And that's the thing that I want to make sure that we really hit on here. The reason that this is so important is that we have to reframe in our mind what work is. Yeah. Because we try to shoo them away from so many things and get them to do things that we want them to do that we consider work, that we consider to be constructing their minds. They know what they need. If they need to go outside and fill a bucket of rocks, we have to be like, wow, look at that work. And that's our job and our role as the adult is to really recognize this human tendency and how it can play out for different children and when it's playing out and to just sit back and let it happen. Yeah. And to honor it and make space for it. I think that is a really important takeaway for this specific bullet point is that the work can look like so many different things and it's most likely not going to look like what you think it's supposed to look like as an adult. And sometimes that can be frustrating too. I mean, there have definitely been times where my daughter is wearing a shirt with buttons down the front of it. And my husband is asking her a question about what she wants as a side with dinner or whatever. And she's just laser focused on this one button on her shirt. And it's like, he's not even there. He's not even talking to her. It's easy to be like, hey, hi, look at me. I'm asking you a question. And sometimes I'll see her doing that. And I'll say to him like, daddy, she's doing some big work right now. Like this is some major working for her. And then he's able to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know what? I'll ask you later when you're available. Yeah. There's this quote from The Absorbent Mind, and I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but Maria Montessori had said that children have the ability to focus so intensely on a work that really feeds their soul to the point where you could pick up their chair and move them in it and they won't notice. Yeah. Because this is like, it is this like almost spiritual meditative thing when a child really is involved in their work. It's a really, really cool thing to watch. So that might be a helpful tip is if your kid, other than TV, other than a screen time, if there's something that you notice that your kid is like super laser focused on, like they don't even seem to hear you when they're doing it, they are working. That is work. And that task, whatever that is, is really important to them in that moment. Mm -hmm. If you can respect that and let them do it, please do. Yeah. And just even the word work, I think helps us to, because there's so many things in the Montessori world that we like change the word, like it's not a teacher, it's a guide. And it seems silly and it seems like, oh, hey, well, you're you're a teacher, (laughs) you know? Yeah. 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 But, but the whole idea is that play can seem frivolous, but if we call it their work, it helps us, I think as adults to really see the value in it. And even with my own kids, they go to a Montessori school. So they're used to saying, that's my work. They do it at home all the time. And I feel like it's a helpful way for them to honor each other also. Yeah. So like my son, he was pushing his little lawnmower yesterday and my daughter went to grab it out of his hands. And my language is, that's his work. You need to go find your own work. Would you like my help? And so we went to go find her own work. But I think it helps to say like, we value this. That's what I'm saying when I say that's his work. We value this and that this is important for him 
So we're not going to just take it away. Yeah. So we're going to respect that. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And I, that's a good note about how Montessori really does have a lot of lingo that feels very mm-hmm. sort of like buzzwordy and just a little bit silly, but there is a purpose for why a lot of these sort of concepts or ideas have been changed or termed differently. So yeah, I like that I point. think that we can get right into this next one because it, it goes it really goes well. Right with it. Yeah, yeah. Repetition. So something you're going to see in those works that they are really drawn to is this naturally happening. Repetition. We repeat concepts, ideas, tasks to master them. So we practice them. We get better at them through repetition. Repetition is how we progress. Everybody has heard the saying, practice makes perfect, right? That's repetition. Repetition makes perfect. It's how we express a desire to accomplish or a fondness for an activity. Children love to repeat. We expect and model repetition in the classroom. We may even build it into the lesson. This repetition helps them connect with their internal motivation. If we get out of the way, they are more likely to have an opportunity to act on the natural desire within them, which is to repeat an activity. I think the getting out of the way part is really important here because I think we as adults, especially with all of these tasks that we have already mastered, it's easy to look at it and be like, that's boring. We're done with that. Why are you doing it again? Stop doing it again. And it sort of like irritates us. That's because we've had the opportunity now to see that thing, think about that thing, interact with that thing a billion times. Everything is brand new to a child. Repetition is so important. I mean, and even to like we've talked about human tendencies means that it's the same for everybody. We all need it. And if you think about your job the first day you started versus years in, you got better because you had the opportunity to repeat And that's what our children are doing. And even now, like I said, I'm in my primary training right now, and I have to do the same presentations over and over and over so that I am able to present them to children in the best way possible. So the way that we are able to acquire skills and acquire knowledge is by doing it over and over and over again. If you are an athlete or were an athlete, You would do the same drills over and over and over and over again until it just became second nature in your body. So again, the reason I love the word work is that when you see the child doing it over and over, maybe they're opening a drawer and closing it and opening it and taking something out and closing it, and which happens in my house all the time, that we can see they're working and they're repeating and they're solidifying this idea in their mind over and over and over again, and it will become a part of them. So repetition is so, so, so important. And it can be really, as parents, I think, kind of difficult to see the value in unless we really think about it, because it makes sense, you know, that we would need repetition. But when you're trying to go somewhere, yeah, and your child takes off their shoe and puts it back on, and then takes it off, and then puts it back on again, (laughs) and then takes it off. They're trying to figure something out, but we're late. And you're like, okay, (laughs) just put on your shoe. So I think it's just a good way for us to think about it. And it goes really well with the whole manipulation activity work discussion. That's a really good point that we can be triggered by the timing of the need for repetition sometimes. Yeah. And I will admit, there are going to be times where I have to shut that 
task down for mm-hmm. a minute. And I, I apologize because I understand that it feels very disrespectful to her, but we got to go. We got to get somewhere by a certain time. Well, that even is honoring it. I think that's a great point is that we can't always let them. Sometimes we do have somewhere we have to be or what they're doing isn't safe. Right. But I think saying, I know this is important to you is honoring it in itself. You're not just ripping it out of their hands and walking away. And when you do that, you're saying, this isn't important. Yeah. When you say, I know this is important to you. I know you're doing your work, but we have to put it away. We have to leave. That is a way that we really value their work also. Yeah. When they ask the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. That's another great and sometimes triggering example of repetition. <laughs> that can be triggering. That can be annoying. But my daughter does this right now all the time because she's acquiring language. So she will ask about the same thing. She's like, what's that? What's that? Who's that? And she's trying to figure out if it's the same every time. She's trying to figure out how to say it, maybe how to pronounce it. And older children in the second plane, do this a lot. They ask a lot of questions. Mm. And that repetition is really solidifying certain ideas for them. And if you can just if you can just hang on and just answer, my favorite trick is to switch it, is to ask them because sometimes they want to answer. Yeah. So a lot of times my daughter will be like, what's that? What's that? And I'll just be like, what is that? And then she's super excited to tell me. And it's like, oh, you weren't asking me. You wanted me to ask you. (laughs) Yeah. Which also happens a lot for elementary children is that they're asking you not really because they want to know what you have to say, but because they want you to ask them. So that's always a nice little, or what do you think is a great little hack. I love asking that one. What do you think the answer is? What do you think that is? Why do you think that is? And that's Mm -hmm. an interesting thing that shifts from that first plane to that second plane. With the first plane child, they're asking what, what, what over and over again because of exactly what you just said. They're acquiring the language and that concept to begin with. Then the second plane, the question becomes why, why, why? Mm -hmm. And I remember reading once in one of Maria's books that it can be such a shame when parents have run out of steam by the time they get to the why phase because Mm -hmm. they're so done from the what phase that they don't really want to give the why or think about the why or encourage the child to go seek out the why. It's just like it just becomes because, because I said so. I don't know, because it's that way, you know, and it's just that repetition, that human tendency still needs to be met. Mm -hmm. And so again, I just have to encourage that if you are out there listening and you are finding that you're being triggered by that, I get it. I get it. If you can take a big deep breath and at least some of the time find it in yourself to just understand and respect that, yes, I've answered this question 800 times today, but there's a reason that they keep asking you and it's not to drive you crazy, truly. It's really I mean, not. even for us, like how many of us have watched the same movie over and over and over again or like to watch the same show? Like I love The Office and I can watch it. I was just going to say, I mean, there are like pages and pages of memes dedicated to yeah. how people will sit down and be like, what am I going to watch tonight? And then five hours later, you've just rewatched The Office it again. It doesn't matter that I've seen it before because I get something different out of it every time or even something comforting out of it every time is that I don't really have to think about it that hard. That's a human tendency that lives within me also. So I think the reason I love talking about human tendencies is because I think it takes a lot of the pressure and a lot of the guilt out of it. It's like, there's nothing wrong with your kid. 
And it helps you to connect with them a little bit more is like, hmm, how do I express this? Because we all do. So if my child asks me the same question all the time, how do I repeat what things? What does that look like in me? Yeah. Like yeah. for me, I like to do the same thing every day, every morning. It makes me feel in control. It makes me feel orderly. It makes me feel like I have a plan for my day and it makes me feel calm. How does my child do that? So it's just, it does exist in all of us. That's a really good point too, that repetition doesn't just apply to the work. It also applies to what we said, and I think we covered order in the first episode. Yeah. Routine and order, right? So the repetition of doing the same things every day, having the same expectations, the same type of tasks, we get up, we brush our teeth, we get dressed. If that happens every single day, then you see that child acquire that skill and understand that that's an expectation much faster. But it's coming from the repetition. Yeah. If you ask your kid or expect your kid to brush their teeth once a week, it's going to be a struggle every time for a long, long time because they're just that, that repetition isn't there, right? So yeah. I think the repetition does bleed into a lot of these human tendencies. I think a lot of these human tendencies are able to be mastered or feel more comfortable with the help of repetition. Yeah. And again, the big, big takeaway here is there's nothing wrong with your child and they're not doing this to you mm -hmm. on purpose. This is an innate drive within them that is helping them to become a human. And if you really think about it, like Megan said, you probably manifest this in your life some way too, to this day as an adult, yeah. because you're a human. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, we didn't get through them all like we had <laughs> hoped. So we are going to have to do part three. Hopefully everyone listening is enjoying these as much as we are because it's going to take up a lot of your <laughs> time and if not if you hate this you're probably already gone so yeah you probably were like there's a part two ew <laughs> and when you see part three whoo talk i'm done with these girls <laughs> like really you guys have nothing else to talk about it's just that there's so much to talk about i know there really is these tendencies we've covered like maybe a max of four at a time and it's yeah. been over an hour's worth of talking if you are still here and you're into this you are our people yeah thank you thank you for being here yeah you are just as much montessori nerds as we are so i do feel like we have built up a pretty pretty solid community of Montessori nerds at this point. Yeah. And I feel really good about that. Yeah, you all know who you are, <laughs> you little weirdos. <laughs> Welcome, weirdos. <laughs> we love you. All right. Well, let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. It is just you and me. So you have to go first. Oh, boy. Okay. I have a couple written down in my little notepad app here. Good for you. You're so prepared. I don't feel great about any of them though. Like at the time that I wrote them in my notepad, I was like, yeah, this will be fun to talk about. But now I'm like, I don't want to. You know what? I think I'm going to pivot to what we were talking about moments before starting this call, which is, God, I am just really on a roll, by the way, with the like really embarrassing personal body related confessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You're pregnant. So I feel like that is very top of mind. You are very like you're very physical right yeah, now. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot going on for me physically mm -hmm. right now. And if you've been pregnant, then you know that a lot of the sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Modesty modesty kind of takes a backseat because yeah, spread your legs open yeah it's like no problem whatever guys I am surviving right now mm -hmm. I have an entire second skeletal system and brain inside of my body right now so That's like so weird freaks me out 
Isn't it crazy? Yeah, I recently really saw is. something on Instagram that was like, I was listening to a, a married couple arguing and the wife was pregnant and she said, well, I have two brains and you have one. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I hadn't thought about that. I have two brains in me right now. And yet you get dumber. I know. And yet pregnancy brain actually yeah. is a thing for sure. It really is. At least it was for me. And it hasn't gone away, and I haven't been pregnant in a very long time. So, <laughs> what I want to say that is, I am pretty sure directly related to pregnancy is that I have had a pretty severe spike in my inability to stand my own BO. Like, I <laughs> can't even be in the room with myself on a hot day when I've done a workout because I've been really good about my workouts, right? Well, my, my gym, quote unquote, is my garage. And we live in a state where it's just barely now starting to get kind of chilly. And mostly that's in the morning. It's lovely. It is lovely. But by the time I'm doing my workout, it's like 80 again out there. And so I am just drenched head to toe in sweat. You're just marinated. I have marinated, exactly. <laughs> and there are so many times, even in the middle of the workout, let alone by the end of it, that I'm like, oh my God, it smells like a soup kitchen in here. I am just <laughs> onions. I am just onions. I'm an onion person. Are you eating a lot of onions? No, I, I don't think so. Maybe I should start tracking how many onions I'm eating because it smells like they're permeating my flesh <laughs> as soon as I have like one drop of sweat come out of me. I mean, we were talking about this. I do think that that's very normal. It happened to me. I can't remember which pregnancy, but it was like, whoa, yeah. ripeness. But you can't get away from yourself. No, obviously it's it's exacerbated by working out and like truly sweating a lot. But sometimes we're even just like out for a nice family thing and it's gotten hot and I was wearing a long sleeve thing and now I'm like sweating through that and I stink and it's just like, oh my God, <laughs> this is just the things rough. they don't tell you about pregnancy. I, I never ever once came across anything about your BO being worse when you're pregnant. And surprise, here it is. And the sweats after you have a baby. Mm. I don't know if you got the sweats. I did. I did. Oh, gosh. Like, I would have to change out. And both of our babies were born in January, so it was not hot. No. And it was just, like, having to switch out my sheets constantly. I finally just started sleeping on, on a towel. See, yeah, that's the key. So for baby number two... I ended up buying a mattress protector, which I highly recommend to you and anyone else having a baby because you get so much just sweat and breast milk or formula mm. or whatever you're using. And it really protects your mattress during this very um, wet time. This <laughs> is very wet time. <laughs> anyway, this is getting really disgusting. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. All of my confessions lately have been just like, but you know what? Gross, if you're a, if you're a parent and you're listening, you you know, you get it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of bodily fluids that are just protect your mattress. Is the protect is the your takeaway. mattress? Invest in a good deodorant because yeah. you stink. You stink. You know what? Or just or just let it air out. Either way, I won't judge you. I'll hang out with you in your soupiness. Thank you, Megan. You're welcome. I like onions, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the best. Okay. So yeah, so that's it. My confession is I stink and uh, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, okay. It's my turn. I had thought about something that had happened to me. It's more confession of my mother. Sorry, mom. But I was in the third grade. A lot of stuff happened to me in the third grade. I'm realizing this was like a really treacherous time for me. I love these. Yeah. 
So my mom, and I don't know if anyone else, parents did this in the 90s, but I had bangs and she would curl them with like a big Mm -hmm. curling iron so they were nice and just voluminous, then would tease them and then hairspray them so that like I just looked like I had a curly bill over my face. Quick question. Quick question. Are there any images of this that you would be willing to share with, at the of very course. least, me, if not of social course. media? I yeah. mean, I was adorable, so oh, I'm not it. ashamed of this. It's just I don't doubt it. was the style at the time, you yeah. know? Before I got into, like, my own hair, which then I looked ridiculous, but <laughs> at that point, my mom was still doing my hair a lot of the time. So she curled my hair and then she did the hairspray and the hairspray was underneath her sink. So it was like the, you remember those like big aerosol cans yes, of I hairspray? Do. Yes, I do. And so she got it out and just went, <laughs> and just sprayed my whole head. And immediately the texture was very different. Like it, it like fell very slowly like the difference between rain and snow like rain comes down and snow just kind of like falls very slowly yeah and so she looks at the can and it's raid oh no oh (laughs) it is raid you know which is an insect poison killer like it's for killing like cockroaches and ants and stuff and so i just start screaming bloody murder (laughs) i was fine but i just it scared me because she looked at it and she looked so concerned and she just clothes and all just throws me right into the shower turns on the water and i'm in my clothes my hair is done and i'm just drenched and i'm crying and screaming (laughs) in the shower (laughs) and so obviously i was late for school so when i walked in my teacher was like megan what happened are you okay and i was like yeah my mom sprayed me with raid (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so i'm sure she had to have a conversation (laughs) oh for sure that was a call with administration (laughs) oh my god so yeah that was the story that came to mind so i'm really not even i'm kind of calling out my mom it was an accident but she did kind of poison me look on your face right now (laughs) that's a good one that's a good one uh i can't wait to find out which thing of that nature i will do to my child i know get talked about by all of her teachers and here's the funny part (laughs) about when your kid goes to a school that you've worked at is you know those people so well like they're your friends right and like the things that kids say Ah. to their teachers or like rat out their parents about or just share innocently not knowing that it's like so 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 not okay to share and yeah I just I wonder yeah I wonder which things that she'll take to school and share okay I'm done because I have to pee yeah we are done we totally are done here my bladder is full and I can't talk about this anymore okay well (laughs) okay are you gonna take us out or am I gonna take us out I can do it. I really you can. I really can. It. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, rate, and review. Please review. Just please. I've asked so many times. <laughs> Tired of asking nicely. Go review, damn it. You don't have to. It's fine. Ooh, a little reverse psychology <laughs> on them. I've done this so many times. I don't care if you review. You know what? I know you're busy, but it really supports us. 
and our show. So just do it. <laughs> just cut all of that. Okay. We are available on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, stay wild. Woohoo. Did right. it. Nailed Did it. it. Done. Crushed it. 